At Kroger, we believe it takes the right team to bring you the freshest produce. That's why we partner with farmers who grow only the best. And that level of teamwork means better, fresher options time and time again. Working with farmers is what it takes to be fresh for everyone. Kroger, fresh for everyone. It's the big $10 sale. So mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The Exxon Radio Show is heard on radio broadcast affiliates worldwide, including AM 580 CFRA in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, WPUL AM 1590 in Daytona Beach, Florida, KOHI AM 1610 in St. Helens, Oregon, KHRO AM 1150 in El Paso, Texas. And for more information on becoming a professional broadcast affiliate of the Exxon Radio Show, visit www.xzbn.net or call toll-free worldwide 1-800-610-7035. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern then, uh, on the Talkstar Radio Network. Then the show is repeated in its entirety on several other broadcast networks worldwide from 2 a.m. until 6 a.m. Eastern. And then from 6 p.m. until 10 p.m. Eastern. Our worldwide toll-free call number is 1-800-610-7035. My email address is exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, 
xzoneradiotv.com. My first guest tonight is Freddie Silva, and he is one of the world's leading experts on crop circles and sacred sites, and a leading researcher of earth mysteries and ancient systems of knowledge. He lectures internationally and has made keynote presentations at the International Science and Consciousness Conference and the International Society for the Study of Subtle Energies and Energy Medicine, in addition to appearances on the History Channel, Discovery Channel, BBC, numerous video documentaries, and international radio shows. And his website is www.cropcirclesecrets.org. And we're going to be talking to Freddie today about his new book, Secrets in the Fields, The Science and Mysticism of Crop Circles. Joining me now is Freddie Silva. Freddie, welcome to the X-Zone. Hello again, Rob. Tell me, Freddie, where did your interest in crop circles originate? Uh, probably when I was three, when I was drawing pyramids on pieces of paper as a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it, uh, it all started back then. <laughs> um, it actually happened in Chicago uh, b- back in the uh, early 90s uh, when I was watching this television program. Uh, and I don't know what it was because I was just sort of ironing a shirt or something and uh, had mm-hmm. a, the sound turned off. And I just happened to see this um, presentation in the, on, on the picture, uh, some big sign in the, created out of corn uh, somewhere in England. And uh, I just recognized what the symbol was. I couldn't really explain what it was, but uh, I, something inside me just turned. And um, it's as if my whole life just began to sort of change at that moment. I had to know what that symbol was and what was behind it. And uh, it sort of led to about 15 years of discovery, revelation, uh, a lot of hard work getting down on my knees looking at uh, mm-hmm. bent uh, wheat stalks around the, uh, the earth. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. All right, you and I will be discussing secrets in the field, the science and mysticism of crop circles, and much more, Freddie, when you and I come back from this two-minute commercial break. Exo Nation, Freddie Silva is our very special guest. We're talking about crop circles this hour in the Exxon, a very interesting topic. And for more information on Freddie and the work that he's done, and it's a very interesting website. I spent a couple of hours there last night at www.cropcirclesecrets.org. That's www.cropcirclesecrets. I'm, I'm sorry, cropcirclesecrets.org. We'll be back on the other side of this two-minute commercial break as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network. UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Don't go away, Exxon Nation. Chippewa on down at the big lake they call Gitchagumi. The lake, it is said, never gives up her dead when the skies of November turn gloomy. With a load of iron ore, 26,000 tons more than the Edmund Fitzgerald weighed empty. That good ship and true was a bone to be chewed When the gales of November came early The 
Exo Nation, for years, people have been both fascinated and mystified by complex designs that suddenly appear at night on fields of grain. Nobody knows how they get there or why. They leave the grain stalks and flattened swirled virtually undamaged. They exhibit mathematical precision. They demonstrate, peop- uh, demonstrate principles of geometry and portray ancient religious symbols. Since the 1980s, some 10,000 crop circles have appeared seemingly by magic. Each year the count grows and the designs get more and more intricate, even fantastic. Freddie Silva, our guest tonight, has written Secrets in the Fields. It provides the most thoroughly researched, most comprehensive account of crop circles ever published. Now, Exonation, for the first time, readers are offered the complete history of the phenomenon, the anomalies that defy the boundaries of science, the source, and why they are here now. And Freddie, thanks very much for joining us. And during the commercial break, you and I were talking that the last time you were on the show was some four years ago when you were giving a talk here in Toronto. Uh, I believe so, yeah. I have a, I have a small following in Canada. Um, must be the accent or something. And uh, I certainly always enjoy it up there, even in Nova Scotia. Uh, I have a lot of uh, fans up there, so it was good to be up there. Well, it's great having you back up here in Canada, even if it is on the radio show and we're getting your message today right around the world. Uh, we've grown considerably since you were on with us last year, or in the four years ago. But, Freddie, I- I'd like to ask you this question, and I'm sure you get this asked everywhere you go. How is it possible to distinguish a hoaxed crop circle from an authentic crop circle? Oh, uh, quite easily, once you've done this uh, a number of years, as I have. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have access to laboratories and the such, uh, one of the simplest ways to detect the difference is um, to basically go there as quickly as you can and take a look at what's happened to the plants. And if it's a genuine circle, there hasn't been any physical pressure applied to the plants. So what you'll find is something very magical, where the plants are bent about an inch above the soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, they look as if they've been made molten like glass, and they've re-hardened on their horizontal basis. And they're scarcely touching the floor. In fact, they're almost hovering over the floor. And uh, the, the moment you put your foot on them, they literally sink into the clay. Um, that's the first indication. The second indication is uh, if you look under the swirl pattern, and you lift up the swirl and you find these little sort of uh, six to eight inch wide sort of bands of straight lines, uh, you'll know that that's been hoaxed um, because those are the construction lines that uh, these people use to try and, you know, outline their design and they fill it in like children learning how to draw. Uh, but on the real ones, uh, uh, as opposed to the, the man-made ones, uh, the man-made ones are full of damage, obviously, because they've had to use garden rollers and planks of wood to flatten them. So that gives the whole game away. But in the real ones, there's no damage whatsoever. And also, if you look at the actual stems, they're actually slightly burnt on the, uh, on the bottom and also around the nodes. Uh, those are the plant's knuckles. It allows them to bring themselves back up to the light in case they've been damaged by wind or rain. So there are these, these little sort of sections which look like they've been burned. Uh, and that's usually the effect of ultrasound on the water inside the plants, which makes the plants do what they do. And if you look very carefully at these nodes, which have expanded, there's these little holes which uh, suddenly occur. And what's happened is is that uh, uh, there's this infrasonic frequency that we know is there because the evidence is on the ground itself in the plants. Mm -hmm. Um, These frequencies, when they involve high pressure, they actually boil the water inside the plant stem. And, of course, if you ever try and make a cup of tea, uh, you'll find that the water in the kettle, you know, it expands when you boil it. 
And it's the same thing with the, with the plant. Uh, and when that water expands in one nanosecond, and we know it takes that long from uh, experiments done at Stanford University, uh, the water then has to find somewhere to go. And since it's, it's inside an enclosed system like a plant, it exploits that node of the plant, and it creates a hole from the inside. And very quickly, just like the film Alien, mm -hmm. the water comes out of this hole and it creates steam, and uh, I have at least five testimonies from farmers in England, and also one from Canada, uh, ironically, who witnessed these crop circles forming at about five in the morning, and uh, they, rec uh, they saw uh, steam coming out of the design, so that's how we finally figured out uh, what was causing it. Is there an alien connection, UFO connection, with uh, crop circles? Yes and no. It depends on your... Uh, idea of alien. Okay. Um, if you tend to think of aliens as nuts and bolts people and uh, spaceships and things, uh, the evidence is rather circumstantial. Uh, if you lived in the south of England as long as I did mm -hmm. and uh, watched uh, military helicopters chasing physical craft, uh, as have some of the local police, then yes, they, they are around. Uh, the problem is no one's ever directly uh, uh, seen physical UFOs actually making these things. Uh, what people have seen them, and there's at least 80 eyewitnesses to back this up, and some of them are military people, uh, is that these things seem to be preceded by either brightly colored orbs, or which don't seem to be physical at all, uh, or beams of light, which I've actually captured on film. And it seems to me that the, uh, the concept of alien in this case seems to refer almost to a life force which um, just like us, it exists perfectly physically on its level of reality, but just like a radio station, um, whereas, you know, we humans, uh, all our molecules in our body vibrate at a certain frequency to make us look physical. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say human beings are on the uh, 98 FM uh, station dial. Uh, well, this force probably exists on something like a thousand FM. Uh, and the fact that uh, our brains and our eyes cannot uh, fathom anything beyond a certain frequency uh, means that we can't perceive them. So once in a while, they make their presence known by sending us information in this way. So it really depends on your perception of alien, but it certainly isn't local, that's for sure. So, so are we talking about a parallel universe, uh, a, a, a different dimension? Are we talking about a wormhole? Are we talking about a dimensional slip? Are we talking about a fracture in the time-space continuum? Are they sending us these messages del deliberately, or is this something that just happens as our two existences temporarily greet? Oh, it's a very deliberate uh, piece of communication, and uh, it's it, it's almost as if they're on a different level of reality yeah. to ours. They just happen to be on a different uh, plateau, if you like. Um, and it's a group consciousness, and from the uh, amount of evidence that I've been able to gather, and there's a lot of it, um, it seems that these people seem to come in and out of our history, and sometimes they'll appear uh, in the Egyptian um, law. Right. They'll uh, exist in uh, legends throughout Britain and Europe. Uh, sometimes we call them fairies, sometimes yes. we call them will-o'-the-wisp. Mm -hmm. uh, Christians would call them archangels. Uh, the ancient Celts used to call them the watchers or the shining ones. Mm -hmm. And the Egyptians used to call them the netter, the creator gods. Uh, and they seem to pop out in and out of history at specific moments when we seem to need a little nudge down here to get us back on track. And it's funny that these uh, the crop circle phenomenon, which is not really a modern phenomenon, it has been going on for at least 400 years. It's just that in the latter part of the 20th century, it really has come to the forefront to get our attention. 
And this is the way that the invisible universe, uh, a technique that it uses to get our attention. Uh, they want us to focus on something uh, to get us to go beyond our limitations down here and also to pay attention to our responsibility of what we're doing to ourselves, to each other, and also to the planet in general. And it sounds like a very new age message, but it's very important considering what's happening right now. Uh, so if you look at the history of the symbols from year to year, uh, you go back retrospectively and you find that there is a message there. There, are, there is information that governs new laws of mathematics. Uh, there are uh, information that governs the speeds of light, uh, at which time uh, science only knew that there was one speed of light. Uh, well, by the decoding some of the symbols, we've now discovered three speeds of light, uh, which orthodox science has now grudgingly accepted. Uh, we've also discovered new methods of healing, uh, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So this is information which is very valuable. Uh, they're feeding us little nuggets uh, of knowledge so we can then go and apply and basically take responsibility for ourselves um, because no one's going to come down here and fix things for us. That would be ridiculously too easy. Of and course. And we see the purpose of us being here in the first place. So there is a deliberate transmission taking effect. And uh, now we're just sitting on this information. I mean, I was able to decode uh, a small part of it, but it's going to take a lot more people to basically work on it. Um, there were, uh, <coughs> excuse me, a group of scientists in Britain and Australia who, uh, uh, on the original uh, cover of my book, uh, they took that design and they uh, basically built it out of 3D and they were able to uh, basically use it as an anti-gravity device. And uh, there's another gentleman in Oklahoma who's built the device uh, in his house and he's also going to levitate. And that was part of some of the channeled information that we received back, way back in the early days of the phenomenon uh, that there was information to do with the um, uh, illusion of gravity and in time that we would decode these symbols to build a machine that would defy gravity and it's slowly coming true. Are they giving you the designs of a machine that will allow you or some of the other researchers to actually enter into their realm to have a one-on-one -on -one communication with them? No, and it will never happen uh, because one of the things that uh, if you look throughout just human history how you know, we go to places like Borneo or mm -hmm. uh, New Guinea and we encounter people who've been quietly minding their own business for thousands of years. And uh, we know only too well how damaging the interactions between advanced cultures are. Um, and I don't think it's ever going to happen. I, I think that these beings uh, are people who understand uh, the laws of the universe and what they're trying to do is show some concern as to where we're going. And they're giving us the tools so we can do it for ourselves. Because, uh, I mean, just if you look at just the way, uh, in the way that the governments tend to handle uh, matters to do with UFOs and even the church's attitude on yeah. UFOs uh, seems to suggest that uh, we shoot them down first and we examine them later. And uh, that is not going to help matters to then uh, have direct communication with an extraterrestrial source. Having said that, um, uh, from my research into crop circles and also the sacred sites, which they always appear next to, including mm -hmm. in the Canadian prairies, uh, the crop circles would always appear beside ancient sacred sites. Uh, it seems that they are using uh, the Earth's magnetic field, the, uh, the actual telluric lines of force across the Earth, to position their designs. Just like in the old days, every single temple in the world, without exception, is built on the same lines of magnetic energy. And if you and I go and stand on these things, and we do things properly, and we learn the techniques, 
Um, this is why we went to these places for thousands of years, because it does allow us a certain escape from this reality into another level of existence from which we then extract information and bring it back to the tribe. Freddie, you and I have to take a commercial break with the news. Please stand by. Exxon Nation, Freddie Silva's our very special guest. We're talking about crop circles, and Freddie's got a brand new book out. It's entitled Secrets in the Fields, The Science and Mysticism of Crop Circles. His website is www.cropcirclesecrets.com. Org. More of this fascinating topic when we come back after the news here in the X-Zone from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network, X-Zone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www. .exoneradiotv.com Yesterday a child came out to wonder Caught a dragon Freddie Silva's our very special guest this hour, Exonation. He's the author of Secrets in the Fields, The Science and Mysticism of Crop Circles. His website is www.cropcirclesecrets.org. Freddie, I asked you off air if um, crop circles have ever been found in the snow, and you, you told me a fascinating story of a crop circle that happened not very far from you in the snow. Uh, yes, about uh, 1997, I just had dinner with a friend of mine in uh, mm-hmm. Portland, Maine, uh, where I live now, and um, got a message when I got back home and uh, telling me that to come back to the house because something bizarre had happened uh, uh, just about, about 200 yards from the house. And I went back there, and there was a, a huge oval shape on the ground in the snow, as if some huge circular cookie cutter just pressed the snow, but in a spiral pattern, and there was no... Um, yeah, no footprints going anywhere near it. Uh, it was just the most beautiful thing. Even the ice crystals were aligned at a specific angle, which uh, I, I recognize very well from my work with uh, the uh, cereal crop circles. Uh, in fact, there's another story as well in Afghanistan. Apparently, there was a, a group of uh, British physicists who were out there doing um, some exploratory uh, geophysics, and they came across a crop circle also in the snow, and this one apparently was, uh, also had geometry in it, uh, and uh, that converted them from skeptics quite quickly. Tell me, what, what, what is the average size of a crop circle, and what is the largest crop circle you've ever seen? 
Um, they vary. I mean, they uh, they can be as small as uh, four feet uh, in diameter, mm-hmm. uh, and they tend to be some of the most powerful as well. People don't tend to pay much attention to them because it's, they're just little circles. Um, we call them grape shot, uh, just like the old days when you had these big sort of guns and used to put uh, this sort of buckshot into the mm-hmm. um, in, into the muzzle. Yeah. And uh, but they tend to pack some of the the most important energy I've ever seen. I mean, I've seen Gaga counters go completely off the scale in these things. They'll even drain your batteries dead in seconds. Uh, so uh, they're quite potent little things. But um, the biggest genuine one I've seen uh, was about three quarters of a mile wide, uh, and it was stretched out over uh, ooh, about a field and a half uh, of uh, wheat in England. Um, but generally, they tend to be around, you know, I don't know, four, five hundred feet in diameter, and sometimes quite complex as well. Is there a connection between crop circles and other aspects of the paranormal, Freddie? Oh, huge! Uh, and if you spend any time in crop circles or, or ancient temples, for that mm-hmm. matter, uh, you'll find that the veil between worlds becomes very thin uh, if you go there with the right intent. Uh, with uh, open of heart and also ask the right questions. And uh, the more you do it, just like driving a car, uh, the better you get at perceiving uh, what stands between you and the next level of reality. And uh, I can tell you from experience that the the veil is very, very thin between worlds. And uh, I have had a number of experiences uh, whereby I have been able to make contact uh, with the other side uh, of this phenomenon. And it's uh, it's a fascinating place. I mean, it's almost like having a, a near-death experience, I guess. But you know, without the traumatic side effects. Yeah. Um, I was uh, sitting in uh, in one crop circle one evening, and I was just I just lied there, uh, just asking questions about what what's the connection with sound? Uh, uh-huh. How these things affect gravity? What's to do with magnetism? Uh, I was just asking questions. I was very curious and open-minded. Um, and uh, I remember being levitated off the ground. Uh, in fact, the first thing that happened was that I was feeling very anxious. And it's as if someone came up behind me and whacked me with a baseball bat on the back of my neck. Uh, it didn't hurt. It's, it's, it's as if I'd just been administered some anesthetic. And I, f- I felt my body go very limp. And next thing I know, I was watching my hands move past me and my arms move past me. And I couldn't feel the ground under me. And I remember being, uh, even to this day, I can see it very clearly. Uh, there was these beautiful, very, very tall uh, people on either side, three on either side, dressed in very long sort of white silk robes two at the front of my feet, and they were making the most incredible shapes with their hands. It's almost like geometry with their hands, uh, like those dancers you have in uh, in Bali. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think it took about 45 minutes. I mean, it seemed to go like a blink of an eye, but uh, I had a tape recorder with me. And in the old days where you had C90 tape, and yeah. you know, in 45 minutes your tape stops and, you, and your machine Close goes click. And I heard the click, and I hit the ground with such a thud that I had a, you know, an actual bump on the back of my head for three days later. Oh my heavens. So I know I didn't make it up, but uh, after that, I didn't realize what the communication was about until I went back home to New Hampshire and literally just sat down and wrote five chapters of a book in a week. And uh, as a writer, I can tell you that doesn't happen. So obviously there was some important communication that was given. And, uh, and to this day, reading part of that book, I... I still don't know where half of it came from. I really don't, but uh, it was quite an incredible event that converted me from being an atheist to believing in another life force in about ooh, 0.5 seconds. Now, I understand, Freddie, uh, that there, that you may have a theory of how music may account for their creation. Uh, very much so. And uh, I was looking for the creative force as to how you know, why is it that physics can't explain this? Mm-hmm. Uh, why are plant biologists stumped by this phenomenon? 
Uh, and I guess the answer was, well, let's go back to the basics, which is let's look at the hard evidence on the ground and see what this happens, uh, how plants can be made to do this. And I began researching work that was done with sound and plants in India in the 1920s, where they had done exactly the same thing. They wanted to evaluate the effects on sound on living organisms, and they found that the effects caused by certain forms of music uh, induced very similar effects to that that we were finding in the real crop circles, specifically the bending from the vertical to the horizontal of the plant stems, and it involved uh, Indian uh, music called raga. It's a, uh, a sort of almost a, a musical version of Sanskrit, uh, which is the, um, the vestiges of the words of God, as they call it. And uh, one thing led to another. We began to look at uh, the evidence under the microscope. There was a, a doctor in uh, Michigan called uh, William Levengood who analyzed the plants and found the water had been boiled on the inside. The nodes had been stretched. There was this charring effect. And by the time I finished looking at sound from so many points of view, I uh, realized that uh, sounds below the human hearing range can actually do that. Because at the time, we thought that microwave might be behind this, mm -hmm. but microwave is a very destructive thing, and there's nothing about these things that is destructive at all. It's an incredibly benevolent phenomenon. And um, when I began to look at uh, infrasound and, and how it boiled the water, how it was able to alter molecules and change chromosomes, suddenly the, uh, the thing just hit. Uh, we could find every single feature in the crop circles relative to the effects of infrasound, and that's how the theory stuck. Freddie, what is the message you believe that the creators of the crop circles are trying to get across to us? It's a multiple-level piece of information. Uh, it's almost like the film Contact, uh, where Jodie Foster, yeah. you know, and she gets that uh, scrambled message, and it has video attached to it, and mm -hmm. all kinds of things. And it's the same thing. It's like Egyptian hieroglyphs. They have multiple levels of information. And it's always been said that uh, the sign of an advanced culture lies in its ability to uh, encode multiple levels of information into a simple symbol. And what we find, uh, having people working on the same symbol from different points of view, will come up with very different answers, but they'll all be related. Uh, so it's as if one symbol will give you multiple information. So. Some of the symbol, one symbol, for example, will uh, heal people. Uh, uh, I've seen people healed of uh, retinal cancer wow. uh, just by looking at one of these symbols. Uh, I've seen people take the same symbol and they'll extract information which is extremely meaningful spiritually to Aboriginal tribes. And they'll tell you about uh, the secrets that were given to them thousands of years ago, about the end of times. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just to do with the change of cycles. I mean, it's not as if we're all going to die in two years' time. It's all about the change of cycles and how to prepare properly for these things. And then we have physicists who look at the symbol and say, well, wait a minute, this, is, this has got technical information. And they'll extract uh, machinery out of it or mathematical theorems or new geometrical formats. Uh, so there's something in it for everybody. So it's impossible to say. But when you start coming back to it after 15 years of research and seeing the big picture, there seems to be one overriding theme, and that is uh, that uh, you know we basically have, uh, as a society, have lost responsibility for what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And by having someone from the outside who obviously is approaching this uh, communication from a benevolent point of view, it's telling us that, first of all, we're not alone. Two, uh, that uh, we have help from the outside. And three, if we just apply this information and learn to cooperate, uh, that perhaps we can just sort out a lot of the, lot of the problems that we're faced with today. And, uh, and it, it goes back to that sort of almost new age message, which is always very fluffy, but it's very, very true when you look around and see what's happening to the world today. 
And that's essentially what it comes down to. It's about a message from a group consciousness that's very concerned about our welfare, always has been, and it always pops up through history at times when humans seem to lose the plot. So that's the trick to it. It's to stay open-minded with this information, apply it on a day-to-day basis, and uh, just uh, see how we can make this a better world to live in. Tell me, Freddie, because uh, these crop circles seem to have been forming near uh, near near sacred sites, it, 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 and, and you and I were talking earlier about the connection between the geomagnetic lines and, and churches of uh, you know when they were first put up. It, is it possible that people have had similar experiences like you have had with paracontact with the other side? That this is where the interpretation of heaven has come from? Uh, absolutely. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm just in the middle of writing a new book, and I was just. Looking at that exactly, uh, there was a, a particular experience that I had, which was very personal inside mm-hmm. the Great Pyramid. And I didn't go there looking for an experience. It just happened, and I have good proof uh, behind it. And I was reading uh, many, many years later uh, an account by a gentleman called uh, Paul Brunton who uh, was touring Egypt in the 1930s, and he describes exactly the same series of circumstances that happened to him in the Great Chamber, in the Pyramid, and exactly the same beings that he saw in the same circumstances. And you can't make this stuff up. I mean, these events are are separated by 70 years. But if you look at the the general attitude to people's experiences in temples and how they also have the same experiences in crop circles, uh, the common denominator is back down to where they are. Uh, They're all lined along the Earth's uh, geomagnetic piles of energy where they intersect. And these are the points where, where uh, magic tends to occur, where strange things occur, where balls of light appear. And uh, in the case of uh, Bruce Cathy in New Zealand, the airline pilot who mapped the uh, paths of uh, hundreds of UFOs in the Pacific, uh, we f- finally rig- figure out that these are the uh, conveyor belts of the universe. This is where information transfers between point to point to point and how people were able to communicate with, with each other using telepathy because when it all comes down to it, it's all about energy, it's all about magnetism, and we are magnetic, so is the Earth, and so is every phenomenon in the universe. So when you look at it from that minuscule point of view, mm-hmm. that's the common denominator. These are points on the Earth's surface where the uh, veil between worlds is very thin. So whenever we're in trouble, we should go back to those places, which is again brings us back to the crop circles. Why are they always appearing beside the ancient sacred sites? Well, it's to try and get us to realize that we have this legacy all around the Earth of sacred uh, places of power that were built as an insurance policy by our predecessors for us to go back to whenever we would lose the plot. And uh, I can guarantee anybody who's listening that if you go to one of these places uh, with an open mind, uh, incredible things will happen for you. Is it because humanity is so egotistical now that so many people do not understand the delicate balance between reality and spiritualism? I think it's a matter of things. I mean, we've always been egotistical, I think, to Mm -hmm. a certain degree. Uh, There's always been that core of people who have always tried to keep the light burning and all things being equal, there's always good and bad in the world and it'll always be that way. Um, I think that we've just lost sight of things in the last 300 years with the Newtonian view of of the world. Uh, We thought that science was going to answer everything. You know, we we went from a shift from honoring the earth to killing people at the stake and, you know, nailing them up on the cross because they happen to believe in the spirit world. 
uh, and yet the uh, you know and the Catholic Church, of course, is you know predominantly at the centre of all of this, and uh, and their beliefs, mm-hmm. uh, millions of people that have been burnt alive and killed in the name of a god, uh, when in fact all these people are doing are worshiping the same god, just calling it by a different name. Yeah. So. Uh, that's part of uh, the, the secular version of things. That the religious part of it is, is also has a par, part to play in this problem. Uh, faith is a completely different thing to religion. The two are not the same. But when you add science to the mix and its complete uh, devaluing of anything that is not tangible, that is not empirical, and it's not uh, cannot be measured, now then we have a huge problem. And and I think a, a lot, as a lot of um, enlightened scientists have now begun to realise there is a lot more going on that we can't see or can't touch because we don't have the machinery to measure it. And they understand that what the ancestors were doing, they were in touch with something that is intangible, but yet it's very real. So I, I'm seeing slowly, as many enlightened people are around the world, that science and the mysticism are coming back together again. Uh, you just have to accept that uh, we just don't know everything. Um, so it's, it's about keeping a, an open mind, I, I think. That's what it comes down to. Freddie, you and I have to take our final break for this hour. Please stand by. Exonation. Freddie Silva is our special guest. He is the author of Secrets in the Fields. The Science and Mysticism of Crop Circles. Now, to find out more about Freddie, as well as you can buy a copy of his book and other books that he's written online at his website, www.cropcirclesecrets.org. That's www.cropcirclesecrets.org. Freddie Silva and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send us an email, it's very simple, exxon at exxonradiotv.com and visit our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. If you've missed any of our shows, exxonpodcast.com. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Don't go away. Freddie Silva is our special guest this hour, Exonation, www.cropcirclesecrets.org. He's the author of Secrets in the Field, the Science and Mysticism of Crop Circles. Freddie, what would you like people, you know, discovering while and after they've read your book? (laughs) Uh, I've never had a bad review, so so far so good. Um, It seems that... um they seem to uh, get the point that the book is really much more about nuts and bolts, about crop circles. It's really there's a bigger um, spiritual angle to it because uh, it's really written to try and get people to understand that there's help 
uh, a lot of help around us if we just allow it to reach us. And it, it, it really is a very profound spiritual message, which I had no idea was going to go in that path uh, when I was writing this book. It just seemed to have come as a revelation at the end uh, because it's, uh, it seems to where all the points were headed. Mm-hmm. And it really is a book about self-empowerment. Uh, once you realize that these things are here and the information is around you and you uh, let it sink in, uh, you'd be amazed how self-empowered you suddenly become. Uh, you, and, and that's part of the problem though, of, of the last 2,000 years. We tend to have given our power away to the few who control the many. And of course, as we're beginning to realize, especially this year, we discovered that it doesn't work. And uh, part of the message of why so many interesting phenomena are happening right now, and particularly the crop circles being central to that, is the sense of uh, getting people to take power for themselves again. And I think that's the one thing that people will definitely get out of the, uh, the book. What should people do if they believe they've discovered a crop circle? How should they approach it? Is there anything special they should do to preserve the crop circle's integrity until experts like yourself or other researchers are called and come down to the scene? Oh, uh, always get permission from the landowner, of course, if you could possibly can. Uh, because uh, and, and I found over the years that uh, Canadian farmers are very open to this. In fact, mm-hmm. they'll even uh, uh, mow the field around the design uh, until someone can get to it, uh, whereas in England people even try to shoot you. I think there's quite oh enough about this. It's been going on for over 20 years over there, and uh, all they get to hear is the hoax angle on, mm-hmm. uh, on the BBC. Um, so, it, yeah, you approach it with, uh, with reverence, as you as you would approach a uh, a saint, and that's how it was uh, treated. And um, yeah, try to make some, take some measurements, take some precautions as well, because if it's a real thing. Uh, try not to take any electrical equipment into it and let it touch the floor. I've seen a busload of tourists uh, put their video cameras on the floor only to have the um, uh, the crystal structure inside their equipment uh, get short-circuited by the electromagnetic energy of the crop wow. circle. And uh, It's a very expensive phenomenon when it comes to cameras. Uh, even the BBC found out that their dismay uh, when they crossed the perimeter of a crop circle, uh, uh, red warning lights go all over the place. So uh, if you see those signs, just back out. And um, it depends also on the frequency of the pattern. Sometimes people feel very high when, you, when they go into it, and sometimes they'll also feel the opposite. Mm-hmm. And if you start feeling a little bit uh, ill, back out, because it's probably just not consistent with your body's frequency. And you'll find that a week later, it'll be fine, and the frequencies will change, and you feel very elated. So, uh, you know, it, it's a very benevolent phenomenon. I mean, it causes no damage to anybody or anything, so obviously it means no harm. Freddie, uh, we've but, got to say so long for tonight, but I'd love to have you back on in the future because we still have, uh, I, I want to talk to you about the other uh, sacred sites that you've gone to and further investigate the connection between the crop circles, the communication, the messages, and as we get closer to 2012. Freddie, thank you very good. much for being with us. Great talking to you. Thank you, Rob. Bye-bye, sir. Freddie Silva cropcirclesecrets.org I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break. Don't go away. 